Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 102, and I am your co-host, Nigel. I am Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And as always, we like to bring you interesting discussions with diverse voices, both new and returning. Although this week we have both returning champions. I'm just going to give you both that uh, that label. Uh, with us, we have Creatively Anzi, a.k.a. Annabelle, a.k.a. the founder of Melanin Gamers. Annabelle, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show for uh, however many times you've been on now. Thank you. It's glad to be back. I'm glad to be back. And joining us in this, uh, it's going to be a lot of Batman DC talk. We just brought Batman uh, DC fans. Uh, also with us is Greg Driver, the host of Ace Comicals. Greg, welcome back. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me once again and letting me talk to people instead of at people about Batman. <laughs> well, you we can do both. That's the magic <laughs> of the podcast. Uh, you can tick both boxes. Uh, yeah. I can finally get this, this get this out, and and like people will actually listen instead of me standing on the street corner yelling it and whatever. <laughs> I'm sure people listen. I listen to people on the street corner for the <laughs> time that I pass them without making eye contact, but I listen. <laughs> uh, hopefully, some people will listen to this as well. Um, so you can subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, you can also send us feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com. Uh, throw them at us on social media. Uh, we are at myamada on Twitter, at myamada TV on Instagram and TikTok, or at Tazzy on all the above. And you can join our Studio 77 Discord to be part of the Myamada universe and meet other people, join in other discussions about the podcast and uh, manga, gaming. Uh, you can also consider becoming a Studio 77 member to support the work we do at MyMatter and get exclusive access to events and artwork and sometimes games as well. Before we get into today's story discussion, let's update you with the latest from the MyMatter universe. And we have a few manga-themed updates. Uh, we have a story featuring Tazzy's character, which we're going to be talking about more in the coming uh, weeks. I've also started a new series, Casual Conversations with Comic Creators, where every month I'm speaking to a different comic creator about their work, about the process, the craft of making stories. Uh, so that's going to be on Twitch, um, at, usually at the start of each month. And for May... I'll be talking with Dutch comic creator Rene Rientes on Tuesday, the 3rd of May from 7 p.m. BST. Uh, Rene was just on our podcast talking a bit about her journey towards making comics and also the Kickstarter she's got coming up. And when we do our live stream one-on-one chat, uh, her, hopefully her Kickstarter will be live or just about to be live. So we'll talk more uh, about that story and the process of uh, putting together a Kickstarter campaign. We have some gaming activities as well. So every month we get together with our Studio 77 members and play a different game. And this month for April, we'll be playing Halo Infinite, which I have not played. Well, I've not played a Halo game for a little while. So I did consider getting some practice in uh, before, but then I figured, nah, that would break the, the spirit and tradition of Games Night. So just going to learn or relearn on the day. So Thursday, 28th of April from 7pm BST on the MyMeta Twitch. You can see how we get on playing, I don't know what modes. What modes are we in Halo, Tazzy? Um, so we're going to play Oddball. There we for go. For sure, because that's my favourite 
and then maybe like capture the flag or the other one. Cool. I love the other one. So <laughs> it's just uh, not team deathmatch because it's zones, like a bit. Whatever it's called. Yeah. 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 Team deathmatch is a bit dull. You know. Every okay. every game has that. <laughs> oh, I'm True. so sorry. I quite like normal deathmatch. I quite, I quite, I quite prefer that sometimes to the objectives because the objectives can just it gets hard. <laughs> I just, I just want it simple. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it makes it more fair if we're playing with people. I know team deathmatch, and that's about it. The other modes, I have no idea, but I'm sure we like chaos. I think so. I'm guessing the other modes have some oh, sprinkle yeah. of chaos in there. So, yeah, you can come check that out. And you can also see our other Games Night highlights on YouTube. Uh, we put them up on for you to see if you didn't catch it live. So games like Roblox and Fortnite, Rocket League and uh, Knockout City. Uh, looking forward to seeing those highlights go up as well. So looking ahead to the summer, we have a bunch of things for our do I look like a gamer campaign? Uh, so we've got some dates together. We've got some activities ready. Uh, we launched the campaign earlier in the year with the aim of promoting inclusion and diversity in the video games industry. So you can uh, follow that on social media. Check out our website, do I look like a gamer.com or look like a gamer.com rather. See the photos, uh, see the profiles of the people. You can check out the My Matter YouTube for the live stream launch segments that we did talking about the campaign, talking with some of the people that were in the campaign. And it's something that is open to everyone, but especially if you're a young and aspiring games professional, you definitely want to get involved in the campaign and the events over spring slash summer. Uh, so you can win a campaign t-shirt. So if you take your own photo with the campaign toolkit that is available now, uh, you can win one of our Do I Look Like a Gamer t-shirts. So you can check the show notes or go to looklikeagamer.com uh, for more details about that and then we have a couple of events to come we have our family games design jam where we're giving young people and parents guardians the opportunity to discover the game design process by making their own tabletop games so this will be a fun uh, activity i've done a version of this kind of workshop in schools over the past couple months always cool to see the ideas that come about and a good chance to learn uh, the mechanics of making interesting fun engaging games so we're going to be at the redmond community center on saturday the 4th of june uh, from midday tickets are free so this is a free event thanks to our sponsors uh, but limited because there's only so much space in the physical world uh, of this of this hall that we have so you can sign up as a team or as an individual and then we'll group people uh, on the day uh, so we also have our ice cream and gamepad social event where the idea is to bring together young and aspiring people with people in the industry to network that key skill uh, in any career, but particularly in video games and so networking with others. And we're providing the opportunities to meet other aspiring professionals, as well as those working in the industry. And then we're going to sprinkle in some desserts and friendly competitions. So uh, we're looking at being in the Samsung KX building in King's Cross on Saturday, the 2nd of July uh, from 4 p.m., for another free event again thanks to our sponsors rocksteady studios and splash damage so that is not all but some most of what we've been up to so now that you are all caught up with my matter let's talk about some of the stories we've been enjoying this week after a quick message from today's sponsor 
Hey everyone, if you've been listening to this podcast for long enough, you would have heard us talk about our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game representation campaign. So this is a project we have started in 2020 with the aim of challenging the stereotypes around the word gamer, promote inclusion and diversity in the video games industry, and provide awareness of careers in the industry, plus opportunities for young and aspiring professionals to develop skills. And I'm proud to say that we have been sponsored in that campaign by Splash Damage, who are also hiring. The London-based studio have recently announced they are working on a number of new titles built in Unreal Engine 5. And if you've seen any of the demos that have come out, you know that is very exciting. You might know Splash Damage from their work on Dirty Bomb, the Gears of War franchise, which I really enjoyed until my Xbox 360 suffered the fatal Red Ring of Death, but that's a whole other story. Brink and Wolfenstein Enemy Territory. But the studio is beginning an exciting new chapter with its own games and own IP, and they are looking for talented and ambitious people to join them. And as we here at Mayamada continue to push for increased diversity and representation in video games, not just on screen, but behind the scenes, we're encouraging people to go and check them out. Splash Damage are offering in-studio, hybrid and remote working options. So head to careers.splashdamage.com to learn more. And now back to our regularly scheduled podcast. This is the part of the podcast where we have a spoiler-free discussion about what stories people have been reading, watching or playing. Um, So we'll start with our guest, Annabelle. What have you been up to lately? Um, well, it's Apex April, so I've been playing Apex as always. I've also been playing the new Star Wars game. I do love a good Lego game, um, so I'm playing that on the Xbox. And I've been reading a book called The Thunderhead, which is a dystopian book. It's the last in the series. It's about an AI, a friendly AI this time, but it's actually the humans. And murder is legalised. And so it's a very interesting concept. If murder was legalized, what would people do? And I think the answer is quite obvious what people would do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of why I've been doing this week's the stories I've been listening to. Awesome. I love it. I mean, I could have predicted that Apex was going to be there. I feel like we should do an, a compilation of every time you've been on the podcast and just you say Apex Legends. <laughs> but it's, it's good to hear you're still enjoying it. And um, both of those. Both the Lego and the book you're reading both sound really interesting. Yeah, Greg, what about you? I have been reading the Junji Ito book. So this came out like tail end of last year and I just picked it up. It's like the new sort of like Junji Ito story collection from Viz Media and it's basically a collection of his early works. It's called Deserter after one of the stories it's included and it includes a long list of stories from early in his career, along with Deserter. If you know Junji Ito, then you know he's like a horror manga staple. And um, his stuff is... It has a a real reputation for being ridiculously creepy and uh, unsettling to look at. Like, some of the sort of full-page work he does and some of the weird, monstrous abominations he manages to sort of, like, fill his panels with all in black and white, all insanely detailed. Yeah, it's just great. And these are just like short stories. Um, Where I'm up to right now, a lot of body horror, a lot of... So the ones I've read so far from the book are uh, Biohouse, which is about a guy... It's like reverse vampires, that one's cool. 
reverse vampires. Yeah, so it's quite an interesting concept without spoiling the story. Oh, okay. Um, the, the person who has the blood is the one that's in charge. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and the vampires are his slaves. Uh, and then there's a, a, a one called The Face Thief, which is uh, about a girl who steals people's identities, but not willingly. There's one called Where the Sandman Lives, which is really cool. That's my favourite one so far. The Devil's Logic, which that one's that one's quite cool in a really urban legendy kind of way. And then The Long Hair in the Attic is the one I'm up to at the moment. But yeah, it's a, it's a really cool collection. And if you like Junji Ito, you've probably read some of these stories before because, like I said, these are like his early works. They've probably been published before elsewhere. But if you like Junji Ito, then it's a great book to have. I was just going to say that only... One of the mangas I've read is the Uza Uzumaki. Uzumaki. Um, oh, yeah. that was just weird. That was my introduction. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, <laughs> what have I got myself into? It's, Randomly it's, found it in the library. <laughs> it's brilliant because he takes something so. Um, he does this thing where he takes something that's like pretty innocuous, and then escalates it to like volume twenty thousand. Like Uzumaki, it's just spirals. Like the whole thing is about spirals. Like even the book is called Spiral Uzumaki, yeah. right? <laughs> I was just like, oh my god, what, what, what have yeah. I got most? And it just, uh, um, the thing about that book is it, it lit the book itself, the way it's written, it spirals. Like, <laughs> out of control. <laughs> yeah. You're like, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I definitely like the sound of the uh, reverse vampires story. Yeah. I might have to dig into that one that one's that one's very weird and very cool and yeah so like other than that i've been playing a lot of pokemon generally that's what i do anyway that's like my sort of anchor buffer mental health thing (laughs) that i do is go sit in the pokemon world for a bit so yeah like the the pokemon world is always my happy place basically so i've just been been playing pokemon arceus and i've been playing um pokemon shining pearl because i've got we've got brilliant diamond and shining pearl i've been playing shining pearl and um i'm just working my way through that basically i'm up to the pokemon league at the moment and i evolved my pikachu gave him a thunderstone you know what it's been how many years since i played pokemon yellow and i still feel terrible after doing that it's like i can't get over it it's like it's like one that that one little thing in Pokemon Yellow has stuck with me forever. It's like, you can't evolve your Pikachu because if you evolve your Pikachu, it will hate you forever. And that that's just kind of like stuck with me. Like, I can't I can't get over that and get away from that. And I just hate myself every time I evolve my Pikachus. But there we go. I just don't evolve Pikachus, to be fair. <laughs> I I like Pikachu too much. And I'm like... <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, needs must, higher attack stat, everything else, better health, whatever. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, and um, that uh, Yutada Hikari video from Coachella, if you guys have seen that. Okay. I've heard of, but generally yeah. just... <laughs> they opened with uh, Simple and Clean. Cool. So, yeah. That was the video. So we're just, we're like, simple, Kingdom Hearts Simple and Clean. So that, that was why that stuck with me. So I've been watching that <laughs> being like, yeah. Love it. I don't think we've had a, yeah. a, a music. <laughs> Sort of addition to this part of the the segment. Love something you, yeah. So I've been on a bit of a like movie binge because I just recently got a Cineworld Unlimited card, and so I've like just 
trying to make the most of it. <laughs> uh, so I went to see Jujutsu Kaisen Zero after recommendations. I should go see it, even though I have not watched any of the season, see, uh, any of the series or read the manga because it's the prequel oh, to the okay. series. And they're like, it's fine, you can go watch it. I was like, okay, cool, I'll give it a try. Um, and I really enjoyed it, and I will probably start watching the series now. I've had that recommended to me as of yesterday, so yeah, that's on my it's list. It's pretty good. Yeah, I really, I really like the the story. It didn't feel too. Like, I'm always worried, like when there's like a overhyped anime that is just overhyped, and there's not actually any complexity to the story. That's just mm-hmm. like another shonen. But this is no, I I liked it. I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> it felt more mature. And then I also watched. The Lost City uh, with Sandra Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, Brad Pitt, Daniel Radcliffe. So yeah, the reason why it's my um, why it's up there, uh, I describe it as I've literally written this down when I left the the movie because I was like, this is the the description of it in my head Uh, is um, hired mercenary uh, hired mercenaries, uh, one of them being a black Nathan Drake. Uh, kidnap a romance novelist of the romantic version of Indiana Jones on behalf Hmm. of the boy who lived in a not quite taken but kind of taken way (laughs) meanwhile action man and a jacked Ken try to save the day (laughs) (laughs) that is that is my description of this movie (laughs) And the only way that you'll understand, if you see it, you'll you'll go back to that and then be like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I see it. <laughs> um, but it's funny and it's like, I think one of the reasons why I like it is because it's like really down to earth in the way that like the romance doesn't follow the typical like... It feels like the messiest script in the world. I don't even know how It does kind of fit follow the typical rom-com script. But it's also like quite. It shows all. It shows all the like <laughs> awkward bits of a real romance, which I liked. And then also, yeah, just the self-deprecation of it was was fun. I thought it was well done. Um, and it was funny uh, watching Daniel Radcliffe play, play this. Like the villain that he plays is just funny. <laughs> so it was a fun watch. It was a fun watch. And then I also watched the first Sonic movie. Uh, so that I can go and watch the second one. And I was also pleasantly surprised. It's a really good film. <laughs> it's a solid film. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to seeing the second one. I do have to say, though, the character, like Sonic's character, reminds me of a. It makes me think of what I think Jake Peralta from Brooklyn Nine Nine would be like as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's, that's, yeah i i see that <laughs> just the little bits of his childhood that you get throughout brooklyn 99 when he talks about it yeah yeah <laughs> it's like huh interesting is this the prequel to brooklyn 99 <laughs> um and then yeah and then i finished my book lock of the dead which i spoke about uh on previous podcast which was it continued to be really interesting and i was like i got through it so quickly i was so glued to it one of the things I want to say is that it talks about like a rare blood disorder and 
it made me like the book even more because it kind of worked that into the plot line. And this and the blood disorder is porphyrious. Porphyry, uh, is it the one where you basically, if you're out in daylight, you get blisters and things? Yeah, so that can be one of the symptoms of one of that's the types. Porphyria, is it, or something? Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's basically, it, that's the thing where, that's basically what they think, part of what they think the vampire myth came from, isn't it, or something? No, actually, um, it's not. <laughs> oh. Oh. Because I was like, I'm so curious. Uh, so I like looked up, plus in the back of the book, the book is actually written by someone who like has a doctorate or studied medicine or whatever. And they, they do, do a whole spill in the back of the book. And I really appreciate that because it, it was like, oh, I put this in the book, but also here's like the facts about it. So you don't get confused because it is a real disease. And I was like, that's real. Oh, I appreciate that. But um, the vampires not being able to go out in the sun was a late addition to the vampire myth anyway. Okay. So, did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I know where I'm getting this from then, because porphyria is sometimes referred to colloquially as the vampire disease. Is, because yeah. people with the condition often experience um, the symptoms with exposure to sunlight. So that's like the blistering and things, which is, yeah. Yeah. And also because it requires. So, in the, when the, this book's set in the Victorian times, and in the Victorian times was when they sort of like started to understand. They were first starting to really understand this condition. Yeah. And uh, so they were like figuring out how to treat it. And one of the things is like, you'd, the way to treat, to treat the symptoms is through blood transfusion. But they was figuring that out in the Victorian times. <laughs> um, well, actually, now it's not. That's what they thought was the thing. But you can actually just do it with synthetic hemoglobin now um yeah. but yeah anyway <laughs> super interesting so it like just went me like sent me on a little like what i want to yeah, yeah i was like i want to know about this yeah. <laughs> which is always nice when a book like is a fictional book but can chuck in some like just i like things that make you think about how someone else that mm. isn't yourself lives yeah and like what they have to deal with so that was quite cool and then i started watching moonlight so just wanted to pop that in there. Also recommended to me yesterday. So yeah, it's really. I'm really loving the British. I'm just loving the Britishness. Really, <laughs> rated it. Nigel, what about you? Cool. So I have not been watching Moon Knight. I have, a, I have a growing list of things I need to get to, which is not any different. It just became more immediate uh, recently. So uh, I've not been watching too much, but I have been reading a comic book or a graphic novel. Uh, called Candles, which is by Lyndon White, who is a comic creator I don't know personally, but I have seen him at different conventions. Uh, I think we had a uh, chat one time, but uh, I'm reading it because a past guest, Rachel Smith, recommended this Kickstarter when it was a Kickstarter. Uh, so after that conversation we had uh, with her last year, went and backed the book, successful Kickstarter, got the book, took me a while to get to it, but I have started it. So uh, it's a story about a... A sorcerer and his, I guess, apprentice or uh, definitely not daughter because he makes that point uh, clear uh, at one point. But they are like sort of outcasts or it feels like they're out outcasts uh, because of this whole magic thing. But then there's this dark magic happening where it's infecting villagers through 
who are near this enchanted forest. I'm kind of putting the pieces together uh, as I follow it through, but uh, it seems like a interesting premise and interesting journey that these characters are uh, about to go on. So once I finish it, I'll, I'll update, but I keep it spoiler-free still. So um, it's pretty cool. And it's always good to see like, you know, a successful Kickstarter being able to be part of that um, and see the book come out. It's nice, uh, hard, like hardcover as well. So kind of looking at that and like, how did that, how to get that printed? But uh, as well as that, I've been trying to get back to video games. Uh, I've been ages since I've got into a video game. I think since uh, I left the country and came back, just haven't had a chance to play many things. But I continued my playthrough of Kenna, Bridge of Spirits, uh, which is a, a third person action game or third person perspective uh, game where you follow uh, Kenna or Kina I can't remember exactly how to pronounce that and she's a spirit guide and you're in this this world that has a connection to the spirit world so you're in the physical world you have this connection to the spirit world and you also are in a situation where the world has been corrupted by I'm guessing some kind of uh, dark spirit i'm sure that will come clear as i play more um but what's cool about the mechanics in the game uh, so it's like i don't know if anyone's played pikmin N- no i've never actually I played have, it i've played pikmin okay. I, actually, I actually haven't but i know enough about it uh, to know that because uh, you get your your like little pikmin and you can like move them about the map so in this game you have what's called rots so it's these cute small creatures that follow Kenna around and you can pick up more but I'm and I'm super early into this but what's starting to happen is you can move them about so you can get them to pick up objects so to complete puzzles for example and like what has been so far simple puzzles like move this block over here to to there so I can climb up and get access to this ledge Um, but you can control them and then you use them in combat or at least to turn like areas that have been taken over by sort of evil spirits you can use them to help flip it back into the normal state so it's quite a cool mechanic and it's cool you have to also or you can feed them i don't know if you have to feed them but you can feed them when you find food around the environment um and the animation is really good so it's the it's the first game by a developer called ember lab i don't know the whole backstory but i believe they are previous like experience in animation and this is their first video game but you can see like the level of animation especially for an indie game especially for a first time indie game is just uh, amazing so uh, it looks really cool and yeah seems like a cool game so playing some of that and then also playing Psychonauts 2 which we did an episode on in fact we did a story club live stream uh, on and I had not finished it yet Um, and like I said I just haven't had a chance to play many video games um, but coming back to that, which just reminds me how good that game is as well. Um, so yeah, I'm aiming to finish that and then I can again talk more about that uh, and maybe start Moon Knight as well because uh, yeah, I've been looking to start that for a while. Uh, so those are all the stories that we have been enjoying. Now let's get to our main story discussion. And today we are going to be talking about The Batman the 2022 comic book film based on the DC comics character, Batman. Uh, The film was directed by Matt Reeves, who also wrote the screenplay with Peter Craig, and it stars Robert Pattinson alongside Zoe Kravitz and more. So spoiler alert, we are going to get into the details uh, of this film as much as we have time for. Um, So if you haven't seen it, go see it. 
then come back, join the discussion. Uh, I'm going to do a recap of the story. But first, let's get everyone's quick overall impressions, uh, starting with Annabelle. Annabelle, what did you think about the story? I've seen it three times, so I think that should tell you. Oh, wow. That is... (laughs) That was impressive. That is actually impressive. I think that should say, that says everything, really. All right, Greg, can you can you top three times? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it twice. No, I can't top three you times. Failed. You failed. <laughs> yeah. You do not love Batman. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by the way, we forgot to tell you that this is like a Batman off. So at the oh, end, what? we're going to give yeah, you a yeah, score yeah. between the two of you. Yeah, we're going to judge you. <laughs> I've seen it twice. And I both times, it just it blew me away. And I just, yeah, I, I love it. I love everything about it. Uh, I love that it's a sort of like a, a, a soup of different Batman comics that I love as well. Like it pulls things from everywhere and it's kind of just like an overall celebration of Batman, I guess, rather than it being tied to one thing intrinsically, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I just, I just, I just really enjoyed it and really enjoyed everything about it and really enjoyed that they managed to make a entire film score out of two notes <laughs> two notes that come from a nirvana song <laughs> okay tazzy what did you think i enjoyed it but <laughs> i have like some quick takes i feel like i don't I, well i i want to see it again but i don't think i want to see it again in the cinema even though it looks amazing in the cinema just because of how long it is I really get the memes. The memes are so accurate where it's like the different types of Batman and they're like, this is goth Batman. (laughs) I feel like Robert Patterson's Batman in this is more of a vampire (laughs) than Edward from Twilight. (laughs) (laughs) And I really want to see Robert Patterson as like Bruce Wayne because I feel like we just get 98% 98% Batman here and I think that Robert Patterson would play the Bruce Wayne part really well uh, but it was a great film and like the some of like the cam- camera shots and were like amazing just very dark oh yes like, yeah constantly I mean he is the shadow so uh yeah they really safe. took that and ran yeah, with yeah. it <laughs> he's, <laughs> yeah he's literally and figuratively Hmm, okay. That's uh yeah, a lot of uh, positivity. So, and I guess that's what we get for bringing on uh, two big Batman fans. So, I am going to attempt to be objective and bring some balance to all the the Batman loving. However, it's going to be difficult because this is a really good film. So, I don't know how I'm going to uh make this happen. Uh I have only seen it once, so I failed the the Batman off. I'll see myself out uh, after this. I do want to see it again just because we were saying before recording that I want to get into a general habit of just watching films multiple times, which I'm terrible at. And I feel even though this is quite a long film, we're going to talk about that. Uh, it's one where I feel on multiple watches in particular, you'll be able to pick out a lot more over that three hours in the story and the character development. So when I first heard of sort of this like entry to the Batman uh, franchise, my expectations were low, uh, so pretty much I was not a fan of uh, the previous incumbent in the Batman suit. Um, not a fan of that uh, at all. So my expectations for Batman have just like fallen. So I just if it's a, if it's a decent film, then well done. 
and it exceeded my expectations and then some uh, i would say so i think we're gonna talk about other batman entries or i might drop some things in there and we'll we'll see maybe how it stacks up but uh, i thought it was a very well done film i feel it, it came from a place that understood the batman character and wasn't afraid to take in a different direction specifically the whole detective side uh, of it and the choice to focus a lot more on batman than bruce wayne uh, i thought was interesting as well so yeah definitely interested to pick this apart with batman experts uh, but i will recap the story uh, for those that need a reminder this is a story that takes us to halloween in gotham city where Mayor Don Mitchell Jr. is murdered by the Riddler and Bruce Wayne slash Batman, spoiler alert, uh, investigates alongside Gotham City Police Department. The Riddler also later kills Commissioner Pete Savage, each time leaving a message for Batman. Batman and Gordon discover that the Riddler left a quite literal thumb drive containing images of the mayor with Annika Kozlov, not his wife, at a nightclub operated by the Penguin, mob boss Carmine Falcone's lieutenant. At the club, the Penguin claims ignorance of the whole situation, but Batman follows club waitress Selina Kyle home and discovers her link to Annika, who later disappears. Batman sends Selina back into the club to search for answers. There they find that District Attorney Gil Coulson frequents the club. The Riddler soon abducts Coulson, sending him to the mayor's funeral with a bomb strapped to his neck. When Batman arrives, the Riddler calls him and threatens to detonate the bomb if Coulson cannot answer three riddles. The first two are answered quickly enough, but Coulson refuses to answer the third, the name of the informant that led to a historic drug bust, ending the Salvatore Moroni's operation and dies. Batman and Gordon later discover that Moroni's operation transferred to Falcone, with many corrupt GCPD officers involved. Selina later discovers Annika's corpse in a car trunk as Batman captures the Penguin but learns that he was not the informant. Batman and Gordon follow the Riddler's trail to an orphanage funded by Bruce's parents, where they learn the Riddler still holds a grudge against the Wayne family. Alfred is then hospitalized after opening a letter bomb addressed to Bruce. This, as Bruce learns, his father hired Falcone to kill a journalist in order to protect his wife. After being confronted by Bruce in the hospital, Alfred explains and says that he believes Falcone had Thomas and Martha killed to protect himself. Selina reveals to Batman that Falcone is her father and plans to kill him after learning that he strangled Annika to keep her quiet. Batman and Gordon stop her, but the Riddler shoots and kills Falcone as he is being arrested. The Riddler is then unmasked as Edward Nashton and tells Batman he took inspiration from him. Batman later learns that Nashton has planted, has planted several car bombs around Gotham and cultivated an online following that plans to assassinate Mayor-elect Bella Real. It's a cool name, by the way. Uh, the bombs destroy Gotham's seawall and flood the city. A shelter is set up in an indoor arena where Nashton's followers attempt to kill Real but are stopped by Batman and Selina. Batman helps recovery efforts as he vows to inspire hope in Gotham. In the aftermath, Nashton befriends another inmate where Selina deems Gotham City beyond saving and leaves the end. So one of the things that came to me as I was... Uh, as I was watching this, and I just like throw this out because you know we've had a a good I don't know decade and a half now of solid string of superhero uh, comic book films, and I feel like we're moving past the uh, the origin story where we see the person go from 
average person to superhero and then deal with that. And we're now into this new kind of origin story where we kind of get past the, you know, we know how the character became the character, but seeing how they deal with it. So a recent example that came to my mind was Tom Holland's Spider-Man trilogy, which that whole trilogy almost served as Spider-Man's origin story, even though we never see him get bit by a spider and go through all that. So how do you feel with this uh, new type of origin story? Or do you even see this as an origin story uh, at all? Uh, Greg, what do you think? I don't see it as an origin story. For me, it's just because there's a lot of stories you can read that are set early in Batman's career. And for me, it's just it's like another one of those, like something set early in Batman's career. So I don't really see it as an origin story because it doesn't really explain you already basically you go into it already knowing Batman's origin because it's like it's it's like we've seen it enough by now. Yeah, we've seen it enough times. We've seen that string of pearls hit that dirty puddle behind the cinema like <laughs> I don't know how many times. And it's just it's just one of those things now that is just like pop culture. You're born knowing it. Yeah. Batman's Batman because his mum and dad got shot. And if you don't, you can Google it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just it's just one of those things now. And it's like we all know that Spider-Man got bitten by a spider. We don't need to see that again on screen because it, it, it kind of takes time away from the film that they could use for other things or to, you know, for other parts of plot devices and for the better better uses, basically. They can they can use that for other things. And I don't I don't feel like it's an origin story. I just feel like it's it's a Batman film. Mm. And I didn't go into it thinking it was an origin story because it's it's a living, breathing Gotham City by the time we get to it. And it's it's Batman year two. Yeah. Yeah, it's but the it's second a, year in his yeah. It's like a new Batman. I say not a new version of Batman, but uh, a Batman sort of just getting started relatively yeah. speaking. So we're seeing like Batman uh, early in his career still making mistakes, etc. Yeah. So it's yeah. less origin and, and more like startup <laughs> startup yeah, Batman. Not- not like old, angry, fed up Batman that we had yeah. before, which was... Um... Yeah, well, there's some anger in there. There's a lot of anger in there, actually. Can you have Batman without anger? No. N- no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you always need some level of, of anger in there. So it's part of the character. And then the other thing that I also noticed is that this is it's quite a anti-blockbuster approach because, you know, we've seen like... Marvel sort of dominate box office with a certain format of superhero story and DC in some ways go uh, a different way. Uh, certainly yeah. films like uh, like Joker and Dark Knight brought that Christopher Nolan's uh, trilogy. And like Annabelle, I know you're a big fan of uh, Christopher Nolan and uh, and those films. What we saw like different from, from there is that this very much leans into the detective part. So it's less flashy and more realistic gritty um how did you feel with the character being more the detective batman rather than the superhero batman um i still think he's a superhero i always think that batman is a superhero but i actually still think this is an origin story even though we don't see like you know him becoming i feel like in this story he does become batman as opposed to vengeance (laughs) <laughs> which he says, I am vengeance. Like throughout the, I, there should be like a counter as to how many times yeah, he says, I am vengeance. And this was this film was really him still. It was, there's a lot of rage in him. And then at the end of the film, he sort of transitions into being the Batman, into being 
like more of a hopeful figure um as much as batman can be because mm-hmm. he was just about being up criminals and i'm i am there i'm there for him being up criminals i'm with him i love how they got down and dirty and like every you know when the camera panned in every corner they was they were like criminals were just afraid of like dust <laughs> just because he might be there and i love that but i also love that at the end of the film and he's carrying that child it's just like he's not bec- he's become some you know someone that oh they a protector as opposed to someone they just fear and i think that difference is important i thought it was still kind of an origin story in that respect yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I brought up Spider-Man or specifically Tom Holland's Spider-Man trilogy is because in, and spoiler alert for Spider-Man, but in the the third film, he, he learns the, you know, with great power comes responsibility, with great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. So he learns that and that's when he becomes Spider-Man. Like he had, we've seen him be Spider-Man throughout the, most of the films, but we see the character learn that. And I felt a similar thing here where by the end of this story, we see the character become or yeah. be on his way to becoming Batman, even though we've seen him be Batman for most of the film. I think the Spider-Man films are more origin than this Batman film, though. Mm. Although although this film, you do see him kind of learn and grow into the Batman role as you go through the film. I don't feel like it's... Because he's already been Batman by the time we get to the film, because there's already people in Arkham that he's put there. Yeah, there's already you know it's it's his work. His work it's already done. happening. He's already been working the streets. Yeah, I would I would say I can see where both of you are coming from, and you both know way more about Batman than I do. <laughs> but from like what both of you have said, I'm like, oh, so he's like early access Batman in the beginning, <laughs> and then <laughs> full release by the end. <laughs> yeah, this is this is Batman before the patches and updates. <laughs> A lot of patches to come, right? Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I did like the feel of it. And like I said, like the focus on him as a detective. So we see him as a good good working relationship. Well, he has a working relationship with uh, Jim Gordon. Um, I'd say good, relatively speaking. Uh, we see him like, you know, solving solving crimes. And when I was putting the notes together, I, um, I saw something where I think Matt Reeves previously said that the reason most directors lean towards the the more superhero when i say super i mean you know defeating you know uh, impossible uh, villains with uh, amazing powers and things like this we don't get that in this film because a detective film is harder to make interesting but i thought this was i thought it was very interesting different kind of film than say justice league uh, which i did not like but interesting film nonetheless yeah i really like the detective part i'm i'm so into like detective things and whenever i don't consume like detective stuff for a bit and then i like consume a story that's detective based i'm like oh yeah i love i love the figuring things out bit and then Mm. i love when everything just falls into place like when it all starts to make sense and i really enjoyed that with this it was like it and it was the way that like it had batman figuring it out but the way i don't know the way they showed like when you when you see like it click in his head (laughs) and i'm like i'm a bit behind and i'm like wait what did he figure out and then it's showing you like this is what he just figured out like oh my god it all makes sense (laughs) it's like the way he worked the crime scene at the beginning yeah and that that is pure batman 
like letting him into the crime scene. People don't want him there, but he's there anyway. And then he's actually helpful because he just kind of glances at something. And then one of the uh, the forensic investigators kind of like runs over and takes a photograph of yeah. it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what he like, if he thinks it's important, really this must be important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the scene when, um, before they figure out the, the bombs are going to go off to blow up the wall. And he's like, walks in and the... the the officer guarding's like, um, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be in here. But there's watching him like figure stuff out, and he's like, okay, okay, cool, you do you, like. <laughs> and because it's early in his career, and he gets things wrong as well, El Rata Alada. Yeah, yeah, that kind. Oh of yeah, can we just? <laughs> that was the one, that was the one thing I was like. It's you, like rap with wings. That's you. Yeah. Like, and then yeah, I'm like, come on, even I got that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's penguin maybe it's like no it's you you're a bat you know this <laughs> but yeah no i did like the that approach to seeing batman as the world's greatest detective uh, and i thought that worked really well for for this character and it, it made me think watching this and not to make this a whole kind of marvel dc thing i might do that later but uh not to do that <laughs> right now but why not it, okay let's go let's do it Slippery slope, slippery slope. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but I do like it's a positive thing. I, I was like, oh, I I like this. I like this yeah. this version. And you know, just to appreciate the time we're in, where we we get all these different versions of uh, superhero uh, films. Most of them are really good. But I like this sort of darker. There's less. I mean, there's some humor, but there's less focus on trying to get to a uh, a joke. And you can just take this in, take the character journey in, take the the world, uh, the world building in. Uh, so I kind of like this approach. We've seen this with Joker. We spoke about and we see the Christopher Nolan trilogy is, I still think, particularly Dark Knight's like the rest uh, comic book uh, film adaptation full stop. It's, it's getting a bit uh, trickier now because there's some good DC and uh, Marvel entries. But yeah, I like this approach. This is a version of DC that I can get on board with. Yeah. More of this, please. Less of, less of the... Uh... The Justice League and the Batman versus Superman and more of this. Please. Yeah. Please. As, as, yeah. <laughs> it was like its own its own thing rather than like like a good I don't know. It was good basically. Mm. There was there's been quite a few not good DC. <laughs> or just like and like as well because for me i'm i've said multiple times on the podcast, like I'm not really into like dark things. <laughs> <laughs> which is why i normally like favor marvel because it's normally like the really like out in terms of films it's yeah. like a super hopeful bright like happy-go-lucky kind of version of things but but when dc do dark in this way i love it i'm there for it you seen the new Thor trailer <laughs> i've no i've not oh, oh i don't do trailers <laughs> oh, really oh, okay no if i want to see a film i just go straight into it <laughs> Yeah, that's, oh, okay. that's fair. Yeah, I don't, okay, enough, I don't not enough. do trailers, but yeah. I also don't necessarily. Care. I will watch it though. I need to find out. But, um, but yeah, Annabelle, what do you think about this? Uh, let's say darker, both figuratively and literally, uh, approach to DC entries. I feel like this is what they were supposed to be doing initially, in terms of yeah. being true to themselves and not like DC. You know, just trust that your fans will like what you put out and don't try and do the marvel formula where everything is like mm -hmm. tiny and brand new and it's, it's actually a joke my brother my brother and i make uh you know arrow um 
used to be on, I think, the CW channel or something like that, versus um, Flash's City, Star City, and how was it, it looked actually darker in when you went to Arrow versus when you switched to Star City. And I feel like DC is that darker version. It's, you know, it's more gritty. It's more getting your hands dirty. Make it an 18, for goodness sakes. It's not for children, <laughs> you know? It's not. So just, like, have Batman being people up, have him on the streets, his, like, his knuckles are bloodied. We want to be there for that kind of thing. We don't want that squeaky clean thing, unless we're doing, spoiler alert, I don't know if you haven't seen this, but Man of Steel, like, when Superman killed Zod. That's what we want to see. We don't <laughs> want to see Superman killing anyone. We want to see murder, basically. And, like, <laughs> Gotham is gritty. Like, that is Gotham. <laughs> Gotham is a gritty city, and we want to see it gritty. You don't want to see a screen <laughs> version of Gotham and just, like, yeah. Batman going out. Never in my life would I ever say that Batman should go out. Batman firms everything. If he's been shot in the leg, he'll walk it off. If he's dead, he'll <laughs> walk it off. He's going to walk off death. That's what I want to <laughs> see when it comes to Batman. I'm trying to see, like, killing joke type of thing, you know, where... Batman kills Joker at the end of the killing. We will never know. I'm trying to be here for that sort of bar-esque feel. And I feel like they really, really delivered in this film. I want to see more of this stuff because, you know, I'm a DC stand and I have all the DVDs. I don't care. I have Batman versus Superman. I'm going to support the cause forever. (laughs) (laughs) I got Batman versus Superman on Blu-ray. Why? Uh, I, like, I need to get my point in. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a, I don't know, it's a waste of plastic for me, but... No, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's, it's DC and I will always be riding for DC. <laughs> it's, I, it's, I really okay. it's okay if you like Frank Miller. I mean, okay. it's, it's very, it's very, the Batman that they, that they have in Batman versus Superman, the Batman that they had in the Zack Snyder's Justice League, for me, and I think for a lot of other people, is, is very, very based in The Dark Knight Returns, Frank Miller, mm-hmm. Angry Old Man Batman. Yeah, except not done half as well. A very brutal fascist take on Batman. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I need to pace my um, uh, Batman v Superman criticisms uh, over this, so let's, <laughs> uh, let's move on. Um, the, so the comic inspirations, because it's always interesting to see how like different directors view the source material and adapt it for the big screen. So as far as I know, the main inspirations for this film came from the Long Halloween, which uh, we spoke about on the Ace Comicals podcast. We did. And Hush. So Greg, do you want to, what do you, what do you think about the way like oh. the material was adapted here? I've got a stack of books in front of me right now because <laughs> I've, uh, I, I went to my shelf and I picked out all the books that I think this pulls from. So, it because it's not just a, an adaptation of The Long Halloween. Yes, it, no. it has elements of The Long Halloween. It borrows beats from that. But there's also a lot of Batman Year One in there. If you look at the oh, way okay. that they're costuming for Selina Kyle, for example, you look at the way, you look at Zoe Kravitz's Selina Kyle, it, it's it's Selina from Batman Year One. And it's very, very much based on that. Even, I mean, I know it's a more realistic take on that instead of her wearing the full cat suit like she is in the comic. In this, she's wearing like the balaclava thing that's kind of half cut, but it kind of like the mask has the same kind of cast the same silhouette. Yeah, I just had to go grab my copy and yeah. look. So, <laughs> hush, obviously, elements that I got with like the Riddler stuff as well. Like, there's a lot of because it's it's early in Batman's career and it's like the forming of Batman, like we said. But but Batman's already Batman at this point, so it's not 
it's not pre-Batman. It's not the making of Batman. It is Batman because it's early in his career. It's year two. So it's not his origin. It's just slightly after that. And it, for me, that's the new 52 as well, because you've got like the um, the zero year stuff, the Dark City and Secret City, which is volumes four and five of Batman New 52. Uh, so mm. it pulls from that because in those is where the Riddler comes into his own and destroys the city or tries to destroy the city. And that's in volume five. In volume four, you've got the Red Hood gang, which is a kind of like reimagining, retelling of the Joker origin with the Red Hood, except this time there's a gang of them and they are plotting to bring down the city. And that feels very, very what Riddler does in this, where he has his social media following and all those real fringe types dressing the same as him <laughs> and <laughs> doing the thing, you know. So it pulls for me from a lot of different places. And it adapts all of it very well and turns it into this brilliant detective film, this early in Batman's career, excellent movie, which, yeah. Like the Riddler in particular, because this was a different kind of Riddler, like for me, yeah. and just, just because of when I saw uh, the film uh, Young Impressionable Age, like I always think Jim Carrey when, uh, when <laughs> I think <laughs> the Riddler. So yeah. <laughs> that's my, that's my like, my uh, yeah, comparison. And this is not that. It's interesting what they did where yeah. they took inspiration from like the Zodiac Killer, like the real Zodiac Killer in terms yeah. of like how he, you know, plots and almost taunts uh, the the police. And so with the Long Halloween having a similar uh, structure in terms of a series of uh, of murders that Batman's trying to trying to stop. But this is quite a, a again, dark, almost, I don't know, domestic terrorist level <laughs> Riddler. Yeah. With obviously riddles uh, thrown in there and, and a good yeah. question mark in, in the coffee foam at the end, just if, in case you didn't know who you were dealing with. So there's a bit of like, it's kind of like a mish, again, it's a mishmash of things because it's, it's, it is a, a Riddler we've seen before where he's playing a game, but with him, you know, committing the murders so brutally and things, that's like a more realistic true crime edge to it. Mm. I feel like they've borrowed elements of a darker Riddler from the Dark Knight, Dark City storyline, which was a Detective Comics one from... It was written by Peter Milligan, and it is... Oh, no, it wasn't Detective Comics, sorry. It was just a three-parter in the in the actual Batman numbering, and it was from Batman 452, Dark Knight, Dark City. Um, mm. And that is basically... There's a cult that want to bring back a bat demon called Barbatos, and the Riddler's involved with that somehow. And, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting story from the sort of like um that era of batman i suppose with um you know jim aparo and artists so on like that so yeah it's 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 a great it's a great little one okay and it kind of it I, I, for me it kind of pulls from that making him a, a bit more brutal but then also like it's got the kind of the dark city riddler thing but less theatrical Oh yeah, no, there's very few yeah. theatrics with this, uh, this version. And again, yeah. uh, with Jim Carrey's uh, version uh, as well. Uh, Adam, I know you, as a self-proclaimed fan of Killing, uh, did you appreciate the the take on the Riddler? I really liked this Riddler, and I definitely got that sort of um, sort of Zodiac Killer vibes to it. And I thought his character could exist now. Yeah, the way he yeah. was, like he 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 was galvanizing people online. He was radicalizing them. It was real, you know, where there wasn't that sort of, could this really happen? This could actually happen in real life. And that's mm. what I really appreciated with this film, you know, where it's just, there was a re realistic element to it where if one like that could actually exist, I'm pretty sure they have, you know, in, in history and stuff like that, where they've been radicalized and they 
gather following and stuff like that and there was actually a comment as to he only had i don't know what 100 followers online and he was like shout out to all of them and people were saying <laughs> online that <laughs> he only has 300 following but look at what that means to actually people coming yeah, in yeah. real life quality of a quantity you know, exactly it's a big deal that they actually came in the worst possible life. way but it was wild and i was just like this is interesting i really liked the, the idea of him of not being I did I, I was in two minds as to did I want him to be dressed exactly like how I like what the Riddler looks like then I did like this sort of new sort of um, um darker take on him where he's sort of like masked and he can't really breathe in that mask and it looks really weird and he's some weird guy in his basement but he's <laughs> able to do all this stuff so I liked it but I was like do I want to see like the comic it was it was it was like in, it was in two different minds but they do have a picture of him dressed up Initially, as the Riddler, where he's got like a suit on, and I was like, "Oh, I don't think that would have worked actually at all." Yeah, I guess you got to fit it to the fit it to the character, fit it to the story. But to mm. your point about you know this sound or looks like it could happen today, I I like that. So I like when people take source material and adapt it accordingly. So we've had discussions on the podcast where we've spoken about people maybe being too faithful. To source material either you know for fear of like fans you know this is not the insert character name here that i remember uh do it this way but what i like about this is it feels familiar in terms of and again in, in the worst possible way because it feels like this is something that could be done where some crazy fanatic can uh, evangelize a group of people to go out and and cause harm uh, mm-hmm. and we've we've seen it we've, we've seen it in in uh, various instances but it just makes the film feel more relevant and just more relatable, again, in the worst possible way. But yeah. Yeah, it just makes for a better uh, story rather than if we had seen, I keep going back to Jim Carrey, but if we had seen that, uh, that, <laughs> that not that that tone would fit in this story, but yeah. if we had seen yeah. be too faithful to some previous version that doesn't fit for the story trying to be told now. So, yeah, I appreciate it. It was a bit, took a slight adjustment for, for me personally, but uh, I liked the, uh, the take on this. And, mm. I mean... Again, like we said, it was a, a darker take in a darker story, um, in a very dark visually uh, story. But there was a lot of good visual storytelling. We have a a story set in a, a Gotham City that's in a bad place, starts on Halloween, and everything, like we said, is darker, both literally and figuratively. But I really like the way they they showed what was happening without necessarily telling. So we see the chaos on the Halloween night. Uh, we see the workings of gangs. We see uh, this is a relatively new Batman and he's going into danger. So because he's new and he's not quite as, as polished as he will become, it feels like he's in danger. So there was that sequence where you see the different criminals and you see that gang uh, sort of chasing down the, the this poor guy, I guess, for some initiation, they want to get a, a new recruit in, or at least that's how I uh, saw that. And then Batman comes in, and he's yeah. in the middle of this gang, and it feels like he'll he'll win, but he's going to take some hits uh, along the way. And you see that. That's a year one thing. That's a that's a Batman year one thing. That mm. kind of mood. That's a Batman year one mood. That is. Yeah, it's also a, a Arkham game <laughs> mood because it did make me feel. I don't know if anyone's played the games by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it just made me f- take me back to the. You know, you land in a, a circle of thugs and then you start doing the combos, the chain attacks. Um, he didn't quite get the combos all right, but he tried. <laughs> he tried. 
yeah, he slipped on <laughs> slipped on a few buttons. So, uh, but yeah, no. So like like I was saying, like like Gotham, it just feels like a a real place, and you see from the street level crime, you see the the club. Um, what was the iceberg lounge? The iceberg lounge, and then yeah. forty four below, I think it was. So you see that you see the the legal system. Uh, from that you're you're seeing the city live and breathe and it just yeah just all makes it feel more uh, more yeah. authentic what i want to say is that it is actually pretty much based on a real place because the gotham that you see in this film and the gotham gotham city a lot of the time is actually just a version of New York that is perpetually stuck in the 1980s. Yes, I did get that feeling. Yeah. So yeah, it's all the mob influence and you know the uh, the corruption and everything else. Um, basically, the like because the mafia in New York they had like fingers in every pie mm. back in the sort of like the early 80s and things like that. And and you can kind of you, you can kind of see how every time they do Gotham with all the corruption and everything else, it's this this Gotham that's early in Batman's career is is basically New York from the 1980s. But then instead of it, it, it shifts in a completely different way, and then Batman just you never really know whether Batman is the reason that other people well well this is covered in one of the Nolan films actually Escalation they buy guns we buy we buy guns they buy bigger guns mm. we buy armored cars they buy armor piercing rounds whatever it is that Gordon says and then he says something and then it's like we start wearing masks, they start wearing masks. So you never really know whether Batman is the reason that these rogues are emboldened and empowered and come out or whether, you know, it's just something that was there bubbling under the surface of Gotham anyway. But it's always the same thing where Batman will create a power vacuum by taking down someone like Carmine Falcone. Yeah, that's an interesting point. He kind of alludes to it a little bit because in I yeah. think it's the opening narration where he's like, am I making a difference? Like it's been mm, two yeah. years and crime's on the rise. Yeah. And then it like rounds off with that as well, doesn't it? That's how mm. it was like, is, no, I'm helping. I bring hope. Oh, yeah. I see a different path now. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, oh, it's so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It so reminds, so much of it reminds me of like, if Twilight was good. <laughs> <laughs> I even like the way I like I love Twilight. This is full I've honestly not I love seen Twilight. Twilight, so I can't comment on that. <laughs> but I don't know. There's something about the narration that just makes it's so hard. Vamp- sparkly vampire Batman. It's so hard <laughs> not to like, and it's nothing to do with Robert Pattinson because I've watched him yeah. and other stuff and not had the not had the Twilight vibes. <laughs> oh, interest. Have, have you all seen Twilight? Yeah. A long, long time ago, okay. I've seen the. I saw the first one. I've seen all the films several times. One of one of my friends is really into them, so we just okay casually watch them. Well, I'm just curious because I I haven't. So I, I know obviously I know Robert Pattinson is you know that that's that made him even though he's been in other stuff and other very different things. But that's you know he's going to carry that around with him was for a long Harry time. Will always be Cedric. Yes, he was in. He was Cedric, Cedric Diggory, and he was yeah. amazing. Oh, me. <laughs> he was also in a film, I think it was called The Lighthouse. Yes, yes. And I feel like if anyone wants to question if he's a good actor, watch that film because for him to play that role where there's like no there's barely any speaking. We can we can safely say he's redeemed himself for Twilight. <laughs> he is yeah, a I did, very I was good gonna, actor. That's what I was gonna ask. Like, do, do you does any of that carry over for him for you watching? Or do no. you see him as 
an actor doing this role and, and he's not taking anything from no he's he's bruce wayne and i'm happy to say it <laughs> yeah yeah okay because yeah, he's vengeance it's okay. just it's just vengeance. the comparisons of like <laughs> No, I get He's that. He's in I a cave. That. It's bad. There's so <laughs> many like references. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if they've done it on purpose. Some of I love it. His, I love his eyes. I really do. Oh yeah. yeah. I really yeah. on point. Yeah. Because I, I was because I was watching it. I, I have no reference, so I'm just like taking it as I see it. But I wonder if people who yeah, yeah what so so the Twilight him, you know. movies have like Bella, the female lead, narrating it. In a, right. in a very similar way to how it's <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> narrated, how Batman's narrated. What you need to do now is you need to take the scenes from Twilight that are narrated by Bella, but you need to overlay it with something in the way by Nirvana. That's <laughs> the same mood. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe just darken it a little bit as well. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Ding, 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 ding. Same film, same film, especially uh, New Moon. <laughs> that just ripped me right back to my teenage years. That did when that song kicked in in the sh- in the film. Like I went back to being fifteen years old reading Batman comics. Because yeah, well, like, I feel he channeled yeah. the spirit of Kurt Cobain, yeah. or some of the spirit of Kurt Cobain in in this emo. very emo Greg. Yeah, yeah, um, and. Uh, another thing I, in terms of like sort of visuals, I appreciated uh, in this film was the the low key CGI. Uh, I mean, yeah. we did get a whole car sequence with uh, the Batmobile, but it was it was there when it was needed, and it at least watching it felt like it it wasn't too much when it wasn't needed. And I always appreciate that in yeah. especially when we're talking superhero films where there can be a tendency to lean into the. Uh, CGI, obviously Marvel would have uh, done this, Wonder Woman did it to a point where I felt it let the film down in the third act, but here just it was understated until it needed to be something more like that uh, car chase sequence and then it was that used effectively. car chase sequence was epic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I talked about this on Ace Comicals actually because I was like, oh yeah, um, have you seen uh, Batman 1972, which was, um, there's an artist, comic artist called Francesco Francobilla that I really like. Mm. Um, and he did this, uh, I'm going to link you guys to it now so you can have a look at the images because I feel like this might have influenced what the Batmobile looks like. Uh, okay. Oh yeah, that definitely looks like it. It's a really big vehicle. Mm. Yeah. yeah, big muscle car type thing, mm. which I think is really cool. I actually really like that design for the Batmobile. I mean, I've got a bit of a Mad Max vibe as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was always a fan of the 89 Batmobile, and I always really liked the 89 Batmobile. And like my favourite Batmobile for years has been the 89 or the animated series Batmobile. I just love the whole aesthetic that Batman the Animated Series has. And that is another one that is actually, for a kid's show, surprisingly dark. And that leans into the detective side of things an awful lot as well. Mm. But in a, in a more easier to piece together, you can watch this drunk or whatever way because it's yeah, because it's for kids. But like, but it's for kids, but it's also not for kids because I've got it all on Blu-ray. <laughs> it's like it's that kind of that kind of thing. And, and this is another thing that it carries the same mood as that. And I think that's another reason I enjoyed it, because I saw a lot of that in it. Yeah, I can see that. Um, were yeah. there any moments throughout the film that stood out to you all, like visually speaking? Uh, Annabelle, I don't know if there's anything that stuck in your mind. I think it was really the opening. And also that scene, you know that scene where he's 
Fiddler is talking about we need to get um Batman um sorry Bruce Wayne. You can see the fear on his face. Batman's like, does he mean me? Has he figured it out? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Oh my goodness. That scene <laughs> was every that was top tier Oscar worthy acting right there. I was like, I could see it like, oh my god, because I was experiencing it like in real time, like, oh no, he's figured yeah, it out. Yeah. Yeah. I thought oh, he had. Oh, I thought that was the point of that. Like he <laughs> he figured it out. And I feel like if I I mean, you have both uh, seen it multiple times and me and Nigel haven't, but I feel like if I watched it again, that scene would still yeah. have me like in that state of like has he even though i know the answer just because it's so well captured how do you how did it compare seeing it on the second watch through and then annabelle on the third watch through as well it does it does hit the same for me anyway yeah no i, I thought like at that point you're just gonna go just shut it all down nope <laughs> let this one go like <laughs> we'll get the next one like, oh i really appreciate it talking of like the the figured out but i really appreciate that whole sequence of batman was figuring out the the next target was actually him but he wasn't there and then we're watching it as if everything at uh, Wayne Manor is happening at the same time as him figuring it out. And then we find out that it's already happened. And that whole sequence was just so well put together that I'm normally like pretty good at like knowing like, yeah, yeah, they're going to do that. But I kind of like had an inkling. I was like, oh, I bet it's already happened. But it was so well done that I was like, I don't trust my inkling. <laughs> I was like, I'm just here. I'm on the ride with with Batman. Like, I'm there. <laughs> like, has it happened? Has it not? I was like, oh, my God, no. Um, <laughs> and then really, like, teased us whether Alfred was alive or not. Like, for a moment, I was like, no, you can't kill off Alfred. I was like, no, no way. They didn't right, just do right that. In the streets, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, they didn't, thank God. But like, yeah. they had me going. Like, Not Alfred. I was, I, I just thought it was well done. Like, in a, yeah. for something so familiar to have us so intrigued and so like questioning everything we know. Yeah. It's for, for a known story and known characters. I think yeah. that scene sort of captured, captured that for me. I loved watching the Batmobile fire up. In the, oh, yeah. uh, the scene where they discover the body and the, the where Catwoman's trying to steal the money to skip town. Oh, see, yeah, yeah, the introduction see, to the Batmobile or this yeah, version that, of the Batmobile. Oh, yeah. my God, I love that. I, I, I just, you see the fear on the penguin's face. <laughs> like, oh, it's brilliant. I love that. And I love the, um, the, there's a couple of club scenes that I really, really enjoy, like Selena going into the club in the red wig. Mm-hmm. Oh, I um, love every moment that Selena is on screen. Yeah. When she's at home and she's getting a glass of milk. That's a really cool Selena moment as well, because that's just like full on Catwoman. And then also I enjoyed Batman's fight scene in the club where he fight he's fighting his way through the club. <laughs> oh, I love that part. Is that the um the the when he first goes to the club? Yeah, 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 yeah. When yeah, he, he poses Batman and not Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Yeah. And oh Catwoman giving Falcone a scar as well. Yeah. <laughs> and um Very smart. our first show of Selena with the boots. And I yeah. love how they, I just love how this film pieced things together. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, sh- done the shot of the boots without us thinking they're relevant. It just looked like it was like trying to be like, oh, who's this walking? 
Yeah. But actually, that was them pointing at the boots because yeah, they had relevance it. later on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so well it's done. Still, so, yeah, like you say, it was so well pieced together. And in terms of like looking at the visual, the hallway fight scene was just a, a really cool visual moment. Yeah. But there was a small moment earlier on where Batman go, first goes to the crime scene of the mayor's murder. And it was a, such a great example of like show, don't tell. So There's a small moment where because Jim Gordon has invited him there, no one else wants him there. And the other investigating officer kind of just pauses. So he's just looking at him like, I don't want you to be mm. here. And then when uh, Jim Gordon asks him a question, you just get a pause as the officer's just looking up and up and down at Batman. And it's just such a well done uh, sequence of, oh, well we done. don't want you to be here. We don't trust you without necessarily saying, it. I mean, they say it later too, like freak uh, and all that. But in that moment, it's just a great way to yeah. get across that. Yeah. You're, you're not wanted here. And it's never like, they never like say it without it being like natural, a natural part of the situation. Yeah. Like they could easily have like Robert Patterson speaking like with his voiceover being like, and no one ever wanted me there. <laughs> and so they never, they never, it's only ever when it's relevant dialogue, you're never treated like you're stupid. It's just like, you know, you know, yeah. we're all adults here. Yeah, we get it. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> So, no, I definitely appreciate that as well. Um, so before we get into the characters, uh, question for everyone. Was this film too long? No. Obviously not for uh, Annabelle or Greg or, or maybe Tazzy as well. Maybe it's a stupid question. But a lot of criticism that the film has got. And before seeing it, I was speaking with some friends who explicitly said this, the last uh, sort of 30 minutes, they said what was happening with that. And I've seen some of it online of the film receiving criticism for being overlong and saying that the, and I'm summarizing, but the story could have stopped with the arrest of the Riddler. Can I? Yeah, go ahead, Tazzy. So, oh God, I'm so glad you put that question out there because I'm like right bang in the middle in terms of there is two points <clears throat> that it could have ended and still been a great film and it could have ended and you would have felt very fulfilled from the film. But the like additional, like it feels like it, it's an additional bit wasn't bad like it was still enjoyable my one gripe is i feel like it needed an interlude <laughs> i like let's go old school let's have a breaking in the middle it would have been great so you can take on and absorb like the first part <laughs> and then you know go get refreshments think about things and then go in for the second part and just like really be sort of I don't know you're, you've figured a few things out maybe you've had a chance to think about it but it does this thing where like it gets to a point and you're like oh okay the film's like finishing now and like I was like it felt like a like it felt like the end of a movie and then it was a bit like a roller coaster and then it and that wasn't and, and then there was more. In another section. And then you think it's ending, it's slowing down, and then there's more. But it was never like a bad feeling. It wasn't like a, oh, God, there's more. It was like a, oh, there's more. Like, it just felt like it was finishing, and then it wasn't. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I thought that at that point. I felt like, oh, this could end here. But then I think the reason why I appreciate the... I guess it was the, the third act for the most part. And when it went beyond seeing the Riddler handcuffed and in custody is that when you think about it from, um, and I made a note, like when you think about it from a plot, like you could end it here, like a, a sequence of events and yep, caught a bad guy, uh, all good. That's what Batman does. 
but what we've what we've seen set up at the beginning is a angry vengeful batman who is just i am vengeance that is all i do i beat people up you see his rage all all along and this is a film about him i would say becoming batman in terms of adding the the hope part of the you know i'm the symbol uh, for hope i'm not just the darkness and what just the shadows and i feel if it, had, if it had ended with the riddler being captured you wouldn't have got that and it would have been an incomplete story yeah. like you could have finished the plot but it could have it would have been an yeah. incomplete story character arc and i feel it would have been unsatisfying without that so that's kind of why you needed as mm. for how it was executed I, I guess people some people don't like it as much but uh, i felt it was definitely needed in this story that they had set up with this particular uh, batman for me it would have been an incomplete character arc for the riddler as well if they ended it early okay for the like, riddler if they ended it with the riddler's capture that's just that just feels like they're doing the character of the riddler like a misjustice there because i think that he's cleverer than that and and, and me right. being a batman fan and knowing the riddler knows that he's cleverer than that and would expect more yeah you're not just oh and i got that, caught and, 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 and he was he was only sitting in that diner because he wanted to be caught yeah and, I definitely see that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know that he wanted to be caught. It, it, the whole thing just smacked of him wanting to be caught. Mm -hmm. And the obviously, yeah, like you, like you were saying, Batman has to win the heart of Gotham. So by the end of the film, because that's the whole point, like, like you've already said, so Batman has to get to that point where people see him as a symbol of hope. But yeah, yeah I think I think as much as it would have been an, an injustice to Batman, it would have been an injustice to the character of the Riddler as well to end it there. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, and I think I think we needed that bit in Arkham Asylum as well. We needed to see that. We needed to see, you know, everything still happening. We needed to, we needed because the Batman had to go in and question him, and we needed to see that, and we needed to see that it wasn't over. And and that's something that you know I I respect about it. And I I the length of it wasn't a problem for me at all. I was just going to say this because I've easily been released. Like if it was re released like virtually, it could have easily been released in like three parts. Do you know, like if it was yeah. like drip threads, like <laughs> part one, part two, and part three? What like um, Zack Snyder's Justice League? <laughs> Wasn't that one big no, it's chunk? In chapters. <laughs> oh. And like you would have like almost like a, a mini series. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, and it would have been quite fun. But yeah, it really has that like. But I don't think it's too long. I don't think it makes it too long. But I can see where someone that's like maybe impatient or <laughs> yeah, or like for whatever reason, longer films are harder to sit through might feel like that. One of the criticisms I've heard about this film a lot is a lot of people that I've spoken to that have been to see it are saying that they feel like they've missed something, like they've missed the first one. And because, you know, because we're going into Gotham already established. Sure. But the thing is, right, we, we, you know, we get all this stuff from like critics and things saying, you know, we don't need another origin story to hell with origin stories. Please don't tell us Batman's origin <laughs> story again. I go to sleep and I close my eyes and I, I've got that image of Joe Chill <laughs> holding the pistol burned into me, into the back of my retinas. But like, it's, it's a lot of people are like, uh, there's people out there that are, are going in and watching that film and are still saying, I feel like I've missed something. Um, I feel like they need to just rewatch the film because this is the thing. I, it's not an origin story, and it, but I feel like it covers the origin story of Batman yeah. enough yeah. in it. Yeah. Like, so even if you had never ever heard of Batman for yeah. some reason, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, you're an alien. Yeah. <laughs> you just got here. <laughs> 
you've just you was born in a coma i don't know like whatever reason you've not heard of batman but i feel like you could still watch it and be yeah. like yeah i get it like his parents were killed <laughs> like it's not completely void of the origin you see the effects yeah i feel like people expect an origin from here superhero films because yeah. there's plenty of films that we meet a character in the middle of their life and don't have a like, this is why this person is why they are. That's weird. You don't know everyone's background. <laughs> and spend half the film rehashing the trauma of Bruce Wayne. Yeah. But this is, this is why I feel like I can't call it an origin movie as well. Mm-hmm. This, is, this, is mm-hmm. one of the, this is one of the reasons why, because a lot of people have come out of it going, where was, where's Paul? Where's all this origin? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because anyone, anyone who's gone into it not... Because we, we're all the kind of people that we, take, we absorb pop culture, we live in it, we live for it. All of us here, gamers, comic readers, etc. right? Mm. And I think you've got people out there that may not necessarily engage with these things on the same level as we do that will go to watch this film because it's an entertaining film to watch. And that's the kind of person that will come out of it thinking, where's part one? And, and that's why it's not an origin movie, because it's not managed to win them over in that way. But then again, it's an anti-blockbuster, so it's going to do that. Does James Bond have an origin story? <laughs> we just accept it. I, I don't know the origin story of James Bond. I just, so I, I, again, I don't feel like, I feel like it's an expectation that people have that is making them feel like that over an actual need for it. It's an expectation of superhero films that yeah. they need explaining to them because people, people still believe that the superhero is something esoteric and difficult to understand. Mm. Uh, it's still it's still for some people the idea that like the the idea of superheroes in pop culture it, on that level you know with a, a deep story rather than just like man wears blue tights and beats up bad guy is still something that a lot of people find difficult to penetrate and i'm not sure what the barrier is but there's a barrier there and that's why you'd get it with something like this film and you'd get people coming out of it thinking that they've only seen they've, they're watching a sequel to something that they've missed rather than you'd get that with James Bond, where people can just instantly go in and watch James Bond. Because James Bond's not a superhero. James Bond's a, well, like a, I mean, a pulp, a, a, a pulp a, adventure a character, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, the reason why I compare it is because, like, yeah, essentially, like... I understand, yeah, what you, I understand what you're getting at, yeah. But there's a, there's a barrier with superheroes that people put up, and I don't understand what it is. Yeah, and it's that's what I'm saying. It's all, like... It's not a problem with the film. No, it's, it's a problem not. with people. <laughs> and I, yeah. Because it is literally like, if, I don't know, because it is literally only because it is a superhero mm. film. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That I think that, and that I don't will change. Think, yeah, yeah, I think it I will think change. It will change. I think it done well. And I would say to anyone that feels like that, just... Just watch it without an expectation. (laughs) Leave your expectations at the door. Of like needing an origin. Yeah. But I feel like, because I feel like my mum would probably, probably be like that. Okay. We're all, uh, we're all Dr. Manhattan sitting on Mars. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's 1989 i'm watching martha wayne wow. get shot behind the cinema it's 2019 i'm watching martha wayne get shot behind the cinema you know so. <laughs> but uh and looking at the characters always 
uh, we always touch on the characters in, in films and uh, this has some great characters and specifically characters that are there for a purpose. So whenever I do workshops in like schools with, with young people and we talk about storytelling, I always mention characters, but characters are in the story for a reason. And this film, this story is a good example of characters uh, that are there for a specific reason around the particular theme. And I like in particular this, uh, so I've, I can't remember which episode, but we've spoken before about this idea of uh, four corner opposition where you have your protagonist and you have your antagonist, but then you also have other characters that feed off uh, both and provide additional uh, opposition to your your protagonist. So in this case, Batman, because uh, we have a, a Batman that is still dealing with, with trauma He's isolating himself. He's just going in on the the brutality that I am vengeance. But he ultimately learns that he must be more. And it's there is almost no self interest in this character, and he's he's motivated to make Gotham better. Whereas on other end, you have the antagonist with the Riddler, who has been through similar trauma as Bruce, but it comes out in a different way. And he's very much I'm gonna I'm not about making Gotham better. I'm gonna burn this whole thing down. So that's his thing. But what makes it interesting, the dynamic between the characters is is then Selena Kyle, who I'm sure we'll talk about, where she has the the role of being very self-motivated. So she doesn't necessarily care too much about the good, the greater good of, of Gotham that Bruce Wayne does, but she does care about things that mean something to her. And then you've got like Carmine Falcone, who's just pure corruption he's like represents corruption and and only cares about he does care about gotham but only for his own personal gain so you kind of got those four characters that play off each other and then you've got another cast of characters around that that feed into this so does anyone have any particular favorite characters characters that stood out uh, in this story i really like uh commissioner gordon in this Mm. I like I like that he's so stressy and put upon. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I love that. It's brilliant. I like I like seeing Commissioner Gordon like at his wits end, halfway to a heart attack. It's great. And uh, I quite like uh, Alfred in this one. I think it's a good Alfred. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think we've ever had a bad Alfred, have we? I don't, I don't think, think you so. can you have can, a bad yeah, can Alfred. It's so <laughs> hard to do, to do Alfred badly. You have to try. Like you'd have to try. Yeah, because I to feel like Al- even. If- the only way you could do Alfred badly is if you cast what's his name from his days in uh, what's the, Mary Poppins, Dick Van Dyke as Alfred. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would kill Alfred for me, but uh, with that Cockney accent as well. All right, Master <laughs> Bruce. Yeah, no, but yeah, I think yeah. So I liked Alfred, but yeah, on, on what you were saying about the different characters, like I, I just had the D and D alignments popping up in my head as you were saying it. So Batman's lawful mm. good, Selina Kyle's lawful neutral. Or chaotic, no, maybe mm. even chaotic neutral. Chaotic, I don't know. Yeah. chaotic neutral, yeah. The Riddler is chaotic evil and D- Falcone is lawful evil. There you go. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Annabelle, how about you? What uh, What's that to you in terms of uh, the characters? Um, I Obviously, I really loved um, Selena Kyle um, mm-hmm. so much. I And I thought it was like redemption for Zoe Kravitz as well. Not getting cast. She was really good. It was amazing. She was really good for not getting cast in Chris Nolan's one because she was too quote unquote urban. I think she did a. Oh, was that whole thing? I it's missed a, that. That's an entire thing. Yeah, like they didn't cast her as Catwoman in Chris Nolan's Man trilogy because she was too urban. <laughs> <laughs> well, <Wow. laughs> yeah. did she improve? He showed them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> showed them. Yeah, that. Um. Yeah. Wonderful. Wow. <laughs> 
it was perfect. And I was like, this was like also redemption for her. Like finally yeah. got to play it and she played it so well. So I thought she was a real standout for me. I also really enjoyed Colin Farrell as the... Yeah, I, was I the only one who had no idea Colin Farrell was in this film until the credits came? I knew it was him, but I was just like... I mean, I don't know people, so... Oh. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't matter because he does... He did, yeah, it's an actual transformation. Because the credits roll, is like Colin Farrell. He's like number four in the list. I was like, wait, who? <laughs> Such a good makeup job. I know. Yeah. My partner didn't realise it was Colin Farrell when we went to watch it. I mean, she wouldn't. Yeah, she was like, that's Colin Farrell. I'm like, yeah, that's Colin Farrell. She's like, what? So well, like, so well penguin, I was about to say. (laughs) (laughs) Such a good penguin. They penguinified him very well. Yeah. I I think, you know, earlier I mentioned about, like, the the humour. He did, like, Penguin brought an element of humour to this, but in a good way. Like, it wasn't, it didn't take over, but it just added that, for what was a, a dark film, I can mm. understand you still need those moments and he provided those moments of lightheartedness in this and it's just, yeah, it's done so well. He's he's mm. not the refined Oswald Cobblepot that we're used no. to. He's just so scummy. Yeah, he really is. And he's he really got, revels like, in that. creepy smile going as well. <laughs> yeah, like scummy mafia creep. Mm. So, I, and just to second the uh, Selena Carl loving because she was just, she was great and was, uh, I think everything about her character was great. But one of the things that stood out to me is that she had that so leading female role and there was a love interest element in this, but it wasn't her defining characteristic in there. She had her own goals, her own agency. She was, you know, she said multiple times in the in the film, I can take care of myself. And yeah. she just did went her away. And that just made her a much better character. Mm. She completely smashed it. She really did. Like the way, like the movement that had that like she really done that like slinky cat like mm. movement yeah. really well chewing gum with an open mouth and yeah like the facial expressions like how well her makeup was done and the wig changes just every moment of her on camera was just a great moment and hathaway who yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like this is now Catwoman for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really that nice. is Catwoman. And I really hope we see more. Maybe her own film. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I just want to like just second all the I think the character every like main character was done so, 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 so well. You really knew like who they were in the film in terms yeah. of like their purpose in the film. But I just have to shout out the twins. <laughs> oh yeah yeah because i just love them <laughs> from the uh, first moment i was like oh my god i love these guys <laughs> it's so it was so and great every but, time because <laughs> it start. you just saw one of them and he's like you know i, I want to come in and he closes the door and he opens it there's two of them he's like i just got to get my brother <laughs> and so, i'm just like they're like you know it's like oh go go get the twins is that the one that oh you mean the one that beat up the twins like (laughs) just i don't know they're just constantly there in these little ways and they just made me so happy they were supposed to be like tweedledum and tweedledee or something or if you know like um in arkham asylum when you play the arkham game penguin has twins doesn't he that hang out and work for him oh does he oh i forgot that i'm sure he does they're like they like kind of like my memory's just terrible with with things (laughs) Kind of like boss character typeies. Are they the ones that have got like one arm each or something? 
Oh, isn't it? Yeah, they have like, there's like one of them that's got a left arm missing and one of them's got his right arm missing or something. A pair of twins in the Arkham games. I'm sure there is. Ah, I mean, I take your word for it. You sound sure. (laughs) Don't don't take my word for it because I'm probably wrong. (laughs) But yeah, I'm probably dreaming. But yeah. I really appreciated them. (laughs) I don't don't know how they managed to make these like random, like random-ish characters just so... So pleasing. <laughs> I don't even know what other words to describe them. It was just something about them. It was just like a they were like a nice little garnish to a great film. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely they, they pulled their weight. And I did like we mentioned James Gordon, but like him being the the one good cop and like, you know, representing the system as it um, should good be. Cop in Gotham. <laughs> Exactly right, because <laughs> it was like, oh, why haven't you been targeted? Because you are, you are the one good cop, James. And um, him and Bella Real, who kind of on different levels, like police level, politician level, represented like change, and that was a theme through this, like this idea of change or maybe not change, but uh, renewal, change, and these two characters like represented that really well. Yeah. So I like seeing them together. And as well, I feel like Gordon was like the Batman's. You need to do better, and then oh, Bella was like the, the Bruce. Bella was like, yeah, Bruce can be doing better, and they sort of were like, yeah, that's true. It's sort of like guide, guiding, guiding light. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the two sides. Al- Alfred, Alfred was just like, I give up. <laughs> yeah, no. Alfred's like, just live, boy. <laughs> give me that puzzle. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> but I don't know no. what to do with you. <laughs> Like, you're not my father. <laughs> you're not my dad. <laughs> oh, just talking of that, sorry, just the... Because Batman really... Um, Bruce really has a... Has this, like, this grudge, this this mm. thing with Alfred about, like, Alfred not being his father, Alfred not being part of the family. Alfred sort of telling thing, him like, what to do. Yeah. yeah, and just sort of like be like throughout the film was just kind of like, who who are you to tell me? You're just you're just a butler. And then there's like the the thing with the ring. Oh, the cufflink. Oh yeah, with the cufflinks. Um, and then when he was putting them on Bruce, just saying like, yeah, your father gave those to me because he saw me as a Wayne. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like I I might not be your father, but your father trusted me. Yeah, and he entrusted me with you. After his death, that was that's yeah. the deal here. So I might not be your father, you. but, <laughs> but I run this house. I am your guardian, <laughs> and I am a Wayne, and I will be until I die. And then just sort of like Bruce accepting that throughout the film, and I thought that was quite nice and a bit emotional as well. Mm. And you know, before we uh, and we always like to talk about the themes, and there were many themes in this film represented by the characters in the different situations uh, we obviously had the theme of fear in this and sort of dealing with fear because we had i mean it starts on halloween night the whole film uh, we see a quite scary introduction to the riddler setting that tone of this this mask vigilante running around killing people other than the mask vigilante that runs around and just beats people up and batman himself uh, regarding himself as you know, a symbol uh, of of fear for the low street crime and then Riddler uh, striking fear into the elite. The one that was interesting to me and to Annabelle's point earlier about this feeling, you know, like you could see this today, 
and again in a, in a very bad way but this idea of corruption because i don't know what uh, what you all think but this so you had the corruption in the policing system and everything but the renewal so this idea of this big uh drug bust and that was going to be the thing that's that changes everything we took down uh moroni uh everything has changed and you just find like nothing has changed yeah. uh, as quite a, mm. so it's quite a cynical take on this but then it feels i don't know it that, that just felt <laughs> too too relevant uh for mm. today like what does that say about the world we live in not too to bring much. everything down but Way yeah <laughs> batman's uh the interesting bit of fear in it, Batman hesitating before jumping and doing the squirrel suit thing. Mm. That was yeah. cool. And like, because I don't know, for, for me, I was like, oh, like Batman not being completely fearless. Like, yeah. what, what is this? <laughs> Still working out the kinks in that in the execution. Uh, and another theme that was in this idea of unmasking uh, because I mean, that was the whole thing of like Riddler, I'm going to you know, take the mask off uh, this whole uh, corrupt uh, city but then with the characters as well because you have everyone well the main characters uh, except maybe jim gordon who just <laughs> he just I'm, I'm i'm good everyone's wearing some kind of of mask that is in a way unmasked by another character so uh, a good example like tazzy mentioned about the combination of jim gordon and, and bella real just pushing bruce to you know who are you really or what could you really be rather than who you are and you get the riddler literally unmasked and you find out his his motivations but even like characters like uh selena who you you see in one way at the beginning but with her relationship with uh with bruce you kind of see a different character uh by the end of the film and uh, by the end i mean i started with fear and then by the end you have hope uh, which is a positive theme and i feel again one that is a lesson that could be taken today where you have Batman for most of the film reveling in this idea of being vengeance, this uh, isolated, angry figure, realizing that he can and must be more. And by the yeah. end, chooses to be a symbol of hope when he could just as easily continue, like we see with the, the Riddler, continue to be that just, I'm just going to bring everything down and everything is is cynical so that's actually quite a positive positive theme of actively choosing hope over vengeance maybe that's why i get on with this film so much because maybe. it ends with There's such an overpowering yeah. theme of hope like it really it's like it was hope all along <laughs> <laughs> it's like, see it's not a dark film <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a funeral in some oh, ways like the death of vengeance and well, no, like, like oh, if you yeah. think about it, like it, it's like the stages of grief. Mm. The whole film. Oh. Okay. And then by the end, yeah. he comes out the other end of it. Yeah. I like that take. Mm. I like that too. What do you think, Annabelle? Um, I think that this it, uh, it poses the age-old question of Batman. I guess his choices, like why doesn't Batman just kill the Joker because he's always escaping from Arkham, <laughs> but he doesn't want to cross a line. And sometimes mm. it's like, maybe that's a selfish reason. Where if he killed the Joker, who would he become? And I think when he looks into the eyes of the Riddler, he's like, that could be me. Because you know when, when one of the Riddler's minions is like, I am vengeance. And they would just like, it's like, there's fear in his face. Like, like, is that oh, is that what, what I, I sound like? like? <laughs> <laughs> is that what I sound like when I say I'm vengeance? And it's mm. like, he doesn't want to be that person anymore, you know, where he's all about um, vengeance. 
he wants to be something a bit more and it's just like it's always like the choice to back maybe not kill maybe do something different and i think that was that was my take on it where it was just like i don't want to be that person because that's what he could turn into if he went down that road um, he has to take a different path i really i really like that as well <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I feel that is the yeah the hopeful uh, end for the the film is that you can do better. And he stops Selena from crossing the path because he starts telling Selena, "You can be better. You can yeah. do better." Yeah, so yeah. Like, it's almost like he's down. telling himself as well, like reminding himself of that point. Mm. Yeah, I like that moment. Yeah, me too. And that's why you needed the extra thirty minutes so we can get yeah. that. <laughs> so. Exactly. Can you imagine how angry you'd be if the film ended? <laughs> no. like, with the Riddler getting arrested. No, that was not an end. That was never, ever an end to the film. I'd be livid. <laughs> I'd, want my, I'd want my money back for my ticket. <laughs> like, I'm Ryan. I'm putting on a mask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this has inspired me. To... <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we uh, wrap up, does anyone have any favourite moments other than what we talked about before and final thoughts of, of this film? I really liked everything. <laughs> it was so good. I do. I do have a criticism of the film. Like, I feel like there's there's a bit, there was a bit of a pacing issue. That's like me, literally my only criticism. But in the middle, I just sort of felt past the, the films. Like there was a bit of um. I did a review on this. There was a bit of a pacing issue, but okay. it was just so well done and so like fingers crossed for a second film, especially with that little um snippet and i was like i was losing my oh, mind yeah. i was actually losing my mind when i was like oh my God. like i was like i, I mean calm down i'm, I'm, I'm amongst people or just presumed no it is the joker it is yeah no no i'm saying because i guess that was the whole that was probably the one part not that i didn't like but that was the that was the one part that reminded me i'm watching a franchise yeah. because they had to introduce the joker into I did, not that not to say it was done necessarily done badly or it was just the one part that I guess pulled me out of the experience because I was like oh okay they're setting up the next film. I mean like, yeah. it was so subtle. The... It was it was I thought it was done very DC esque as opposed to Marvel Let's Do Twenty um, Easter eggs. I love my Easter eggs. I'm not gonna lie to you. I stay at the cinema until like the cleaners come in. <laughs> but yeah, yeah same. <laughs> little that little subtlety of also it shows like Batman has been on his grind. Like he's got on the 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 Joker in Arkham. Like at least he's done that one big battle because you know how hard yeah. it is to get that man in. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's slippery sword. All I want to say about this film is something in the way, nothing in the way, because it, it, like, I couldn't find a fault with it really. But that's just me because <laughs> I'm biased and I love Batman. Also, um, I feel like all the training I've had for bladder control through all those Marvel films, <laughs> yeah. wait until the very end to see the Easter eggs, has, has, has basically was was training for this to sit through this long Batman film, which was amazing. So yeah. My favorite film, film, favorite scene. <laughs> I mean, you can tell it's your favorite film too. <laughs> it's definitely not my favorite film. My favorite film is Point Break. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my favorite scene probably uh, when Selena goes to face and and kill Falcone. Oh, yeah, yeah, and um, specifically once. Batman turns off the lights and then they're like, like it's in the dark. Oh, I just, I love that whole thing. I, oh, I mean, I loved it from the moment she just went in there 
I loved I loved her outfit in that one. I loved her wig. That was a bit where I was like, oh my god, I want to cosplay this specific Selena outfit. But just even like the the hesitation, there was like a slight hesitation and thinking about it and then interruption and yeah, I just really liked that whole that whole sequence. Uh, that was my favorite part. I'm getting better at this picking favorite yeah, things, aren't favorites. I? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I forget if I ask you enough times, you, <laughs> uh, you'll start to uh, get better at it. Um, so I, again, I had, uh, like Annabelle, liked the majority, the vast majority uh, of this film. So I actually find it hard to pick uh, any favorite moments. But I just that hallway scene when he goes in, I don't know, just on a visceral level just really enjoyed that sequence it was it was just cool it was just cool to see like people shooting at him bullets bouncing off um and he just like taking people out yeah i just like that like that mm -hmm. moment and then uh one other one i'll, I'll give is uh with the is it the da uh colson when he has the the bomb strapped and just that so when he answers the first two riddles or when batman because he really didn't do much work but batman answered the riddles for him <laughs> And then when they get to the third one, like the the pressure on this dude, like I felt that. Like it was like, just give us the names. Like I can't. I'm so deep into this. Like I don't want to mess this up. I have family. I just felt that that how deep this man was into this corruption. And he just even in that moment with a bomb strapped to his neck, he didn't want to give up the name. That's how uh, how deep the corruption went. Like, he was a dead man anyway. And that, to the point, exactly. That's what, I yeah. think that's, I, don't, I can't remember if Batman said it or I was thinking it when I was watching it, <laughs> but I was like, what does it matter? Just say, it's like, oh, I've got families, like people. And yeah, that was such yeah. a like heavy, I felt like his suffering. I have a second favourite. Can oh, wow, I say it? Yeah, sure. It's really, it's when, uh, so it's right, it's right after that exact scene. <laughs> it's the next scene. It's when um, they bring Falcone out into the light, but like it's just the way uh, Gordon had all the all the officers, the all yeah, the non-corrupt officers, officers yeah. just there gathered. Oh my god! It was, and the doors open, and then yeah, Falcone steps into the light, and then he gets shot. That's oh it. my god! Just the whole like oh the whole sequence of things that happened. Yeah, I need to see this again. I need to get some tickets and see. <laughs> see it's such a well put together film. Uh, so, yeah. So that was our discussion on the Batman, um, which we all enjoyed. I tried to bring, I tried to balance out the positivity. I couldn't do it. It's too good. So, let us know what you think. Uh, send us your feedback. Social media. Jump in our Discord. Um, let us know what you think about this story discussion. So before we wrap for this episode, uh, we want to make sure we give you our storytelling tip. Each time we do a deep dive on the podcast, I like to pull out a storytelling tip for others to consider when making their own stories. So a consideration from someone who also makes stories and likes to learn from the techniques or mistakes of others uh, no mistakes here but for today's episode i want to discuss the relationship between protagonist and antagonist who in this case are two sides of the same coin so it's kind of like feeds off a tip i gave in episode 23 for the dark knight so that's kind of linked and i talked about batman and joker being one of the most famous protagonist antagonist pairings but batman and riddler work really well here 
as well. So in The Dark Knight, we see Batman and Joker as polar opposites, but that's not the only way to do a protagonist-antagonist relationship as we see in The Batman. So we have the Riddler, who actually has a similar backstory to Bruce Wayne. They are both orphans suffering in some way from the corruption in Gotham City. We see Batman and the Riddler linked in their origins and in some ways their, their goals. So one eventually wants to save the city while the other wants to burn it all down to the ground. Uh, the two have different ideals and different approaches to life and they both can't have what they want, essentially. So this is a film that understands what it's about and how your protagonist and an antagonist reflects the ideals, the themes that are put forward uh, in the story. So we see Bruce consumed by his need for vengeance consuming him to the point where he doesn't even care about being Bruce Wayne and says about as much during the film. Both are consumed by their rage, but one ultimately finds a way to be something more than vengeance. And because of this, the conflict between the two doesn't need to be physical. And despite there being some physical conflict, their main conflict comes when Batman sees followers of the Riddler repeat his own line to him. So it's a conflict between the two, different ways to deal with a similar trauma. And the key aspect that I discussed in my last tip about this was to have your antagonist constantly push your protagonist into increasingly difficult situation, uh, forcing them to make tough choices. So the murder mystery plot continues to put pressure on Batman as he hunts for the killer, all the while gaining an increasingly negative perception among the city and specifically the police department. So there's one thing I didn't mention when I gave those other tips, and it's that protagonist journey. So specifically, your protagonist learning to become better at achieving their goal or need. So in this case, we have Batman's need to become more than just vengeance, which is what he wants, but it's not really working for him. So even he says, our scars can destroy us even after the physical wounds have healed. But if we survive them, they can transform us. They can give us power to endure and the strength to fight. So both characters have scars to deal with, but one of them turns their scars into something positive for themselves and the city. So your protagonists and antagonists don't have to be binary opposites in every way. They can be birds of a feather or rat with wings. But because of who these characters are internally, they respond in very different ways. So the journey that the protagonist goes on is one that leads them to a big revelation. It's this journey that is fueled by the relationship with the antagonist and makes this relationship so satisfying to see. Uh, even if the film does run on the long side, according to some people. No one here, though. Uh, so here are a few things to remember when crafting your protagonist-antagonist relationship. Uh, number one, understand the themes in your story. So what does your theme really say? What is it about? And how do your protagonists and antagonists reflect those ideals? They don't have to be binary opposites. They can be two sides of the same coin. Number two, remember that conflict isn't just physical, so this is one way to do it, but more interesting is a clash of ideals that relates to your story's theme. Number three, ensure your antagonist is constantly pushing your protagonist. So they should have their own goals that they're going after. We don't want them to be a passive protagonist, but on the way to those goals, they should be facing continuous obstacles put in place by your antagonist. And the last tip, number four, is what does your protagonist learn in the pursuit of their goal or the antagonist. And so it's that part that's key to the character arc or the hero's journey. So in pursuit of the goal, the protagonist should be continuously learning on their way to that revelation that provides the breakthrough to achieving their goal. So depending on your nature of your story, this could be the thing that they consciously want or subconsciously need to succeed. 
And that is our storytelling tip for this episode. As always, you can let us know your thoughts, feedback at mymatter.com or join our Discord and let us know there. Before we wrap, Tazzy, let's check in with our guests. Yeah, uh, so we'll just get a bit from our guests, what they're up to, where you can find them. So Annabelle, we'll start with you. You know how it goes. <laughs> a little bit of information about what you've been up to and where everyone can find you. Um, well, it was Insomnia Gaming Festival this Easter weekend, so we were doing panel talks and also tournaments, um, which was amazing, and we had a really, really good time. Apex April, so we're putting on quizzes and all that good stuff. And it's nice to be back at in real life events that we've been attending. You can find us at um, the Melanin Gamers or just Melanin Gamers on literally every single social media platform you can think of. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm totally jealous of you being at Insomnia. I wasn't able to make it this time and I'm super upset. <laughs> but um, Greg, what about you? So, as always, you can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything that we do. Uh, we discuss an awful lot of comics, pretty much any anything that passes as sequential art. And we recently had uh, David Lloyd on the show to talk about his... Um, his latest thing, Aces Weekly, which is like an online subscription thing for comics, uh, fully digital uh, comics and things like that, which is pretty cool. And also we talked about V for Vendetta with him because he's the artist from V for Vendetta and you can't escape that. So that was pretty awesome to have him on the show. Um, and yeah, upcoming stuff, um, just more general casual conversations about comics, which is what we like doing. Excellent. So yeah, make sure you check out both of their platforms because they're both pretty awesome yeah and thank you both for coming and talking some batman with us an absolute pleasure always a pleasure as always (laughs) (laughs) Uh, appreciate it definitely appreciate it so if you appreciate listening to this episode make sure you subscribe to story x story uh, and give us a five-star rating and review which helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussion Uh, don't forget to check out our own stories on the my matter website we have a number of titles available including the latest serious through the fog and we have a story about tazzy's character coming uh, this year too to look out for uh, you can join the studio 77 discord and join the community there check out the studio 77 membership for exclusive access to gamepad events and content from the Mayamada universe and our do i look like a gamer video game representation campaign is live uh, we've launched a campaign so that future generations of diverse talent will know that there is a place for them in video games uh, and we want to empower them to be an active part of shaping the future of the games industry. So we have a bunch of activities and events in store and you can also check out the photo campaign featuring the 40 players and makers and keep an eye out for general news about the campaign. So we've got some stuff coming out uh, this week, hopefully, uh, and over the coming weeks and months. As for the podcast, we release new episodes on Thursdays, and those include creator interviews, video game discussions, and deep dives into stories across pop culture. Uh, you can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at mymatter.com, and our website with links to subscribe is mymatter.com forward slash story x story. So thank you all for tuning in. 
And until next time, stay safe. And remember, it was hope all along. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Thank you.